right now I'm seeing is it's not that people are not capable. We have so many tools in our toolbox, right? Lots of skills. But the problem is the strategic thinking or the critical thinking, they are not framing the problem correctly. Why? And it's because of the interpretation, how they are seeing the map. So to me, to objectively understand, see and understand what needs to be done and why, the decision-making prior to that would be then the problem-solving part, which is to really see what is really happening. Is my truth the real truth? You know, is what I understand about the situation, fact or assumption. That is the voice of Schwin Schwin Yo, Executive Leadership Coach, Forbes Coaches Council, author, and Managing Director of Ascents. She joins me today to discuss disruption and her 2020 book release, The Eight Paradoxes of Leadership Agility. You're listening to the podcast with John C. Lemon. Miss Yo, welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks, John. In your recent book release, The Eight Paradoxes of Leadership Agility, you suggest that previous leadership models may no longer be relevant. Why do you believe this to be the case? Mm, thanks for the question. You know, John, prior to the pandemic that has taken the world by surprise, we were already in the fourth industrial revolution. And with that, there's already so much disruption brought on by technology automation. So many jobs are going to become irrelevant in the future and they have already identified a huge skills gap that about 30 million of people need to upskill by 2025. And imagine right now with the pandemic, a lot of organizations have been forced to speed up their plans to, you know, to evolve and to be so-called be disrupted. So with that then, this is one force that is affecting this whole environment. The other part of the puzzle is really demand for employees have changed. Right now, we have five generations in the workplace. And who knows, with increased life expectancy, we might have six generations in years to come. And then with this trend now, a lot of diversity in employees. Uh, people are a lot more mobile. I think with, right now, with a lot of remote work happening as well, you can see teams increasingly become diverse. Sometimes you have five to 10 members and each of them in a different location with a different upbringing, different background. So a lot of diversity. But I think one thing that is common is more than 50% of our, our workforce will be the younger people, the so-called you know, millennials. millennials they, they are yes. stepping into leadership roles right now. And what is the expectations of employees who are gen relatively younger. We are moving more towards self-actualization with uh, you know, generally stable economy, stable political conditions. Most of us, like even me, I'm born post-war times. Hence, the need for, to search for purpose and meaning 
to be engaged in work that we find is useful, that has value, is highly important. The way to manage people in the past during the industrialization age, where we can give a lot of top-down instructions, I just need you to follow this set of instructions, just follow, just repeat steps one to 10, and that's it. Your day goes on like that. Um, the expectations of employees right now is not that. They want to see purpose and meaning. They want to know that what they are working hard and putting effort into makes a difference. So then the management style has to change because we need to talk about engagement. We need to talk about how are we going to help others fulfill their fullest potential, reach the state of self-actualization. Uh, however, also not forgetting that there are going to be there are already five generations in the workplace. We still need to take care of the matured workers because their needs will be very different from someone who have just left school and just entered the workforce. So leaders then cannot use just one style to manage the employees. They need to rep increase the repertoire of skills and personas that they can take so that they can engage each generation appropriately. Based upon what you just said, leadership seems to be significantly more challenging than it was a couple of generations ago. This is all a part of the disruption that we now see, that evolution in leadership. You talk about leaders swiftly recognizing challenges and responding decisively in unstable times or uncertain times. What skills do leaders need in order to be able to respond swiftly and decisively? So in order to disrupt past definitions of leadership, we to recognize challenges. I think the first thing is about seeing, recognizing this fact that the world is no longer the same. The way we do business will not be the same. The way we motivate people has to change as well. And when, it's almost like, let's say if I'm, I, I'm playing basketball, right? And this game has a has certain set of rules. So imagine if you are playing a game and the rules have changed. Then how would you respond? You can't be playing this new game using the old rules from the past. So that's why what gets you here can't get you there. If you look at a lot of high-performing the, the leaders, many of them come to coaching because they realize that what they have done in the past, which has made them very successful, suddenly stopped working. Uh, but the thing is, it's actually not sudden. Over the years, there have been signs that something about what they have been doing, which have made them very successful, has stopped working. And if they reach a point where they hit a plateau or they even go on the downward decline, that's where they come to coaching because they realize that there's something about the way that they are interpreting the challenges, understanding, making sense of it, and then coming up with a solution. That process somewhere is broken. Often about, you know, typical problem solving, how do you framing the problem correctly? And once you are able to frame it correctly and recognize that you are actually in a new game, the new rules, new players, and how you're going to get them to work together, once you recognize that well, then you'll be able to disrupt and respond. So what are the steps to see clearly to have this objectivity? If we are in a new game, but some people don't, they think that they are in the old game, they think that nothing has changed. They think that this has been how we've been doing things for the last 10, 20 years, hence we're going to continue because I know it will work, right? It's almost like a operating a machine. You give a certain input and then the output comes a certain way. It's very predictable. 
So objectively to understand what needs to be done and why, different people can go into the same conversation and they come up with completely different understanding. So what's the problem? The problem is really that we are not seeing reality for what it really is. Right? We are looking for information that will fit the frame of mind. So we're constructing a map is something that leaders need to do that to really question ourselves because when we do that and when we remove all these assumptions, we will realize that the truth, it will be very different from what we have perceived in the beginning. So I think objectively to you know, recognize these challenges, to make decisions, it always starts with framing the problem correctly. So it, to me, it starts with reconstructing the map. Would it help to have other opinions, people to come alongside you and say, maybe you're not seeing this clearly, maybe you're not seeing everything, and to help you draw different conclusions? Yes. You talk about the RE4 coaching model, which is reconstruction, refresh, renew, and rebuild. What does it mean to reconstruct? Mm. So to reconstruct the map, it means to do that unbiased, courageous reality check to see that the truth that you think is true may or may not be real. Because many times people see and hear what they want to see and hear. Certain things may be happening, but they don't see it. They frame it in a different way. So to reconstruct the map is to really get a good sense of what's really happening. So I, I like what you said earlier about inviting other people to be part of that picture because you cannot reconstruct the map until you have conversations with people. As, as you go through the process of cross-checking, because this is what I see. What about you, John? How do you see it? Right. And then you realize that, huh, you have a completely different understanding. Okay, so why is that? That gives, keeps us curious. And then together we can construct a puzzle. And of course, that in the next process is to refresh the lens. Why are we, why do we come up with interpretations of the truth that are not real? It's because of our outdated biases, prejudices, our overgeneralized rules. And once we identify those, we will be able to interpret truth more accurately. Then that goes next into renewing the identity. It is helping people understand what is the role they really play in that puzzle. It's all about creating, co-creating a common space together for organizations, for NGOs, for any, any organizations right now, co-creating a space. And everyone has a role to play in that mm. space. Am I going to see myself as someone in front charging forward? Or am I going to be the cheerleader on the sideline cheering my competitors on, you know, if it's a race? Right. And with different personas, we actually perform and we act very differently. And once we get the identity right, then we will know how much we can flex, what are the do's and don'ts, where are the boundaries. And a, a lot of times, uh, leaders get themselves in sticky situations. It's because they had that confusion. They weren't clear what is the identity. Somebody who should be the facilitator to be the cheerleader, but they are charging in front and trying to do everything on their own. This is the, one of the most common examples. People who find it very hard to delegate. People who find it hard to be so-called disrupted and keep up with the newer technologies. And you know they will be much better off being a facilitator or cheerleader at the side and let people, the talented people who they, whom they hire, do their role 
you know, perform the jobs really well. That would take a great deal of humility. Yes. To step aside and let others come and have a greater role of participation. Yes, yes. That's why in my book, there are eight paradoxes. So there are eight of these. This one, when we talk about delegation, it is, I term it executing versus inspiring, right? So for example, am I going to tell someone, right, these are the 10 steps and, well, okay, just go and do it. Or am I going to inspire them? Help them understand what would success look like at, at the principal's level? Because what happened is they may not actually know how to do it because maybe there's a knowledge gap, right? There's an experience gap. That's why we need to hire the younger people. Even me, I need to learn all these skills like very consciously. But would I be as fluent in it as somebody who was born in, you know, many years later? Probably not. So if I talk about executing versus inspiring, inspiring I, for many times is my preferred way. Because once we know what the end goal is, what's the overall objective, there are actually multiple ways we can achieve this success. And it's about empowering these people so that they do what they know best. And as long as you clarify with them what is the ultimate goal, things should work out fine. The problem comes when I jump in with my limited knowledge or my biasless assumptions and I try to take control of the situation and then that's where things go south and people get disengaged. Yeah, so, so that's renewing the identity. Be very clear where do you stand in, in this game, you know, in this uh, environment, where are you supposed to be and what role do you play best? Uh, and then lastly, rebuilding the capabilities. So capabilities-wise, is more at the doing level. What are the skills? Time management, attention management. I advocate attention management much more than time management. Okay. Because if I am a senior leader, do I want to take over things that I know that I'm not equipped with? and you know take the limelight away from people or do i want to spend time on something that is strategic that something that only i can do something that gives me the highest payoff for the effort i put in would coaching my staffs be something that is more valuable so if i were to then manage my attention would it be around engaging the right people so that they are aligned with the ultimate goal that I'm driving the organization towards? Uh, is it about hearing the concerns? So I think building these capabilities, having a different kind of conversations, I, I, I see these capabilities that can be learned. Right now, well, I guess because so many generations in the workplace, right? So the quality of conversations really has to change, has to improve as well. Many times, if people go into a conversation and they come up with completely different understanding, that's a sign, clear sign that we are not communicating. I'm just, so a dialogue is not two monologues. I think that's the key. A dialogue is not two monologues. When we come into a dialogue, what we want is an exchange of ideas. But if I did not, if that didn't happen, that means it is a skill, listening, questioning, Clarifying, you know, all these are very good skills that uh, modern leaders uh, need to have. Then we began to talk about soft skills. Talk about the importance of soft skills being first. Right. So there's this model about how people learn. No, do, be. And there's this quote as well. We are human beings. We are not human doings. So what happened now is, at least in this part of the world, how do people 
develop soft skills. They treat it like another hard skill. It's like another tool in my inventory. Can I negotiate? Can I communicate? Can I story tell? Developing soft skills by from the doing level is not effective because the context changed so rapidly. So how I use certain skills, let's say persuasion, right? How do I use persuasion skills to persuade somebody? will have to change according to who my target audience is, right? And if I'm engaging different people, what would it take for me to truly understand them? So if I talk about truly understand, what would it take for you to truly understand another human being? You have to be intuitive, right? You have to be empathetic. You have to ask the right questions. But I think fundamentally it is about an interest in knowing people. And that starts from the being. We, we interact with people and it's all an effort to validate and honor our values and beliefs. So if fundamentally we are not curious about people, knowing about what your values are, or even knowing what my own values are, then whatever skills I can give to you, you can only repeat it in a certain controlled environment. And you know the world right now is a totally uncontrolled environment. Right. Nothing is ever the same, right? We cannot assume that it will be the same. Even if I put you in a different company in the same country, things will be different, right? So you work on the being first. Uh, know what your values are. Know what your beliefs are. Know what's important to you. Because then when I equip you with the skills, then you will know what you want to do with it. And then you can be really adapted, uh, be very adaptable and... Uh, flexible and I think in a nutshell to be really uh, agile uh, otherwise uh, it's just like a computer program right which we are not then you also mentioned the importance of human-centered leadership what is human-centered leadership people talk about transforming organizations enterprises but ultimately what is that for it is about delivering value for who well if it is a profit-making business of course it's about the consumers Right, We spend so much time trying to understand our consumers, but quite a number of companies that I work with, they forget about the people who work with them. And I think remembering this fact, our employees are the greatest enablers of any organization. So when we are going through any kind of change right now, I think all organizations will be disrupted. Right, So every organization is going through some form of change. So when we are trying to bring an organization through that change, we need to take care of the people first. It is like building a house. The most important thing of all is the people. We can get all the processes right. We can pick the right color for the walls. We can get the right furniture, which I think is right. But at the end of the day, we want the people to live in there and to be happy and to perform at their best because that's where we can generate the highest value for organizations. So to be human-centered is to remember, okay, well, we are going through tough times, change, nobody loves, nobody likes change. How are we going to bring these people along? You know, another analogy is we can't move until we are on the same page. So what if you have already gone forward by another 100 pages and you realize that everybody else is left behind? So then what purpose does it make? You, you can't achieve anything unless you have your people together with you because humans, are, your employees are your greatest enablers. So to really hear the concerns, bring them along with you. So back to the analogy of building a new house, at least ask them, 
what color would you like the walls to be? Right? If I'm shopping for furniture, which brand do you like? Why do you like it? You know, ask them these questions. And I think people want to matter. People want, you know, human beings have an inert desire to be heard and to be understood. This requires a great deal of strategy from leaders. It requires a level of self-awareness. It requires being willing to be disrupted, to be agile. And it also requires a strategy to move your organization forward. Where should leaders begin in developing such a strategy? How does this happen? Right. Strategy-wise, I think having conversations with people is a really good starting point. Um, the strategy cannot just be processes. It must, be, it must begin with really constructing, reconstructing the map. What is it that the organization aspires to? What are the existing capabilities? Where are the gaps? So if we know where the gaps are, then we know how to close them, right? We need to identify clearly what are our enablers. Uh, to have that really clear, what is the identity here? What's my role here? Am I supposed to do everything myself? I'm not going to change my whole organization, you know, fire everyone and hire new, <laughs> new people. <laughs> Is that the kind of leadership that I believe in, you know? So I think a strategy, even the strategy has to be aligned to the corporate values, which I, I think most are, but do they leave it, breathe it? That's the question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether organizations really live and breathe their values, mission and stuff like that. So strategy-wise, the strategy doesn't, definitely has to change. Like right now, the way business is being done, the future of HR, the future of work, the picture is completely different and people are figuring it out right now. There is that co-creation process that has to happen too because we want to address all the human needs of the humans working in the organization. Ask them, tap on their intelligence, tap on their wisdom. Ask them what would they like. And once you have a very clear picture of the gap between the ideal and the reality, then you will know what are the steps you have to take to close that gap. And that will form your overall strategy. And you can't cement yourself in one strategy because as needs change, you need to change along with those needs and evolve. How important is it for a leader to have the ability to evolve in that way? Very, very important I think if you drill down to qualities that, a leader, that the leaders must have, courage and humility, the courage to say that, all right, we're going to, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where we are going. I'm trying to figure it out myself, but let's try something because you can't think your way through this. And it's okay to tell people, tell your, your employees that actually I, I'm not sure whether it will work too, but let's try this. You know, in a controlled environment, let's at least the pick your battles, plan your losses. So that's the saying. So I think plan your losses, right? Within a controlled environment, this is how much I can lose if, if I try this and it doesn't work. So that requires courage. In this part of the world, we talk a lot about failing safe because a lot of leaders still have that fear of failing. And we are all trying to figure it out together. So courage is really important. So humility then, humility, because the environment is changing so rapidly, there is a high chance that whatever you decide as a leader is going to change tomorrow, right? It's no longer relevant. So I must have the humility to say that, all right, based on that context, that was a decision. And now let's make a U-turn 
on on it. And let's revise it. It's not that I'm fickle-minded. It is that I'm responding according to the context. However, there are also leaders who don't do that because they say no, because I already said this, so I can't take it back. So it is the pride that's coming in. Um, but right now, I think the real test is, I see a lot of leaders being tested in these two qualities. And if they have it, then they can have an evolving strategy. If they don't have it, they, they don't do very well, you know, but it's very important. There, there is this cycle called the constructive destruction, which is saying that the lifespan of organizations, the S&P 500 organizations is shrinking. Right now, it's around 33 years, if I'm not wrong, based on the last report I read. I think with the pandemic, it might shorten. So why is that the strategy cannot engage consumers? And they still want to insist, very, be very insistent about certain ways of engaging. And even when the results show that, no, this is not working, but they still want to continue this path. So the evolving strategy is very important. And I think in a nutshell, look at reconstructing the map, the first step of the before coaching model, most of the time reveals a lot of truths and helps leaders see different alternatives. Ms. Yeo, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Very informative. I'm honored that you were able to drop by. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. And thanks for giving me this platform. The Eight Paradoxes of Leadership Agility is now available at all major bookstores and through online distributors. Xuan Xuan Yeo, Executive Leadership Coach, Forbes Coaches Council, author, and Managing Director of ASINS. For additional information on leadership agility, visit A-C-E-S-E-N-C-E, ASINS.com. That's our podcast for today. I'm John C. Lemon. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.